it, it, uh, so when you get underneath uh, a swarm of vehicles or a pack of drones, you do feel the psychological effects of them, either as a supported individual, right? When they're running logistics to you, they're providing ISR, shot spotting, forward observing functions to you. You feel a different type of technology in a way that uh, you know you grab a new device, you really don't. But there also is the counter of that is uh, you know we've tested some of our loitering munition designs and things, and I've put myself out there as the as the target, if you will. And uh, that persistent threat uh, is something that I can only describe as being something of a hybrid between like snipers and artillery. Like it's always present. It's always. Uh, uh, um, it is a persistent threat to your existence. And I think wow. that to me, from an enemy perspective, is where I started to really appreciate how this is different. Welcome to the Land Life Podcast with your host, PJ Riley. Hey guys, welcome to the Land Life Podcast. My name is PJ Riley, but you already know that. Uh, guys, if you're getting value from this podcast, like, subscribe, leave comments. Um, that's the only way I'm going to keep getting good guests. You know, I'm getting pretty quality, high-level guests right now. And the only way I'm going to keep doing that is if you leave comments and, you know, keep the, uh, whatever, the YouTube internet world algorithm going. Uh, guys, today I got Chris Tababin. Chris has got one of the most interesting stories that I've ever heard. And it's not, he's not a real estate investor. He's not buying and selling uh, sports cards. He doesn't own a uh, some sort of business, you know, in, on Main Street. Chris, uh, we'll get into what you actually do in a second, but how are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, man. Uh, what part of the country are you in? Uh, Vancouver, Washington. Vancouver. All right. And the business, Marengo. Um, mm -hmm. Now, here, here's the, the, the tagline on Marengo. I looked up your website. Disruptive innovation for the U.S. military. How cool yeah. is that? Yeah, what? no, I, I I came into it from the Marine Corps side of things and recognized when in the innovation space on the Marine Corps side, how difficult it is for tech to transition to the warfighters and how little innovation specifically on the logistics side had made it. And I, I committed myself back in 2018 to uh, have the perseverance to make sure that technology gets to the warfighters uh, soonest. That is so cool. So the name Marengo, uh, is, uh, are we talking the, the, the battle? Yeah. The battle yeah. from Napoleon? The old, the old battle for Napoleon. So when Napoleon's horse was actually named Marengo, he captured it at the battle of Marengo. It ran, ran through 65 different battles until it was, uh, eventually captured itself, but they uh, were named after the war horse itself. Okay. Now the name Marin dash go though. What's the play on words there? Just, yeah. So Marengo, the horse, right. It was the steed by which, um, the, this leader of war who fought in the trenches with his, with his war fighters, uh, got out there and, uh, was able to lead from the front in, in many uh, examples, but go is just an example, uh, or it, it's a play on words for the, the fact that we make things go by themselves. So autonomous vehicles and autonomous vehicles in groups or packs or swarms. Okay. Groups, packs, or swarms. This is like the, this is like, I don't know, like, like a movie, like some sort of high tech GI Joe movie. It, 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 uh, so when you get underneath uh, a swarm of vehicles or a pack of drones, you do feel the psychological effects of them, either as a supported individual, right? When they're running logistics to you, they're providing ISR, shot spotting, forward observing functions to you. 
you feel a different type of technology in a way that uh, you know you grab a new device you really don't but there also is the counter of that is uh, you know we've tested some of our loitering munition designs and things and i've put myself out there as the as the target if you will and uh that persistent threat uh, is something that I can only describe as being something of a hybrid between like snipers and artillery. Like it's always present. It's always, uh, 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 um, it is a persistent threat to your existence. And I think wow. that to me from an enemy perspective is where I started to really appreciate how this is different. And the same thing for ground autonomy is that if you, when we when we think about in, uh, uh, engaging an enemy, we think about engaging an enemy that's rational and self, you know, seeking to self-preserve. But a robot necessarily doesn't have that Im impetus. So um, it is it is changing the way we think about things. It's changing the way we engage in in warfare. And my hope is that by having the United States as being a dominant force, uh, we don't engage in warfare as often or as frequently. Yeah, especially the uh, the loss of human life would be. Significantly yeah. dropped with what you're talking about. So, um, you know, I, I had a chance to look at the website, and yep. I mean, I saw this cool the, uh, this vehicle. It was on like big, huge bicycle tires, almost, and it was kind of driving around on its own. Kind of give us some examples of like what you're what you're doing, what you're talking about here, um, and and, and describe it for the non-military person as well. Understood. Somebody Absolutely. that understands just enough to get them by, but. You know. Yeah. So the, the the platform we're talking about is the Swin Car. Uh, it is a um, a, a technical off road vehicle designed out of uh, Toulouse, France. Uh, we worked with their team to to automate it. You know, building the robotic controls for it, uh, developing a a brain for it to be able to operate, and then in integrating or adding sensors to it. So when you think about how things drive by themselves and how they interact with the world, the design we worked with is something that is as flexible a base platform as possible. And so when you, when you think about what environments we're trying to get out into, the the swin car as an example allows for a very flexible employment it's it's self-censoring uh because it does that it's able to perceive uh the ground in a different way than something that you know is bouncing all over the place if you've ever done off-roading you know you're bouncing constantly each individual uh, uh arm ex extends and supports itself so they're interacting with the ground independently and the the bucket or the center is remaining more station much more stationary um so we've we've thought of things to integrate or deploy uh, that are as flexible as possible. We we I I, I coined as kind of like this blue collar uh, of autonomy. So something that's low cost can be employed by a farmer. And I grew up on a farm. My, the mindset I have is like you buy a tractor, a John Deere, a Ford. Uh, uh, a Kubota, whatever it is, to accomplish many tasks, and not just a task that you immediately have, but one that you don't know. And these platforms allow us to to um, support those routine tasks that occur every day, but be flexible enough to engage one that might not we may not understand for tomorrow. Okay, so I know automation in like a business sense. So yeah. an email that always goes out, right? Somebody does this, it triggers this, it sends an email out. Correct? Yep. Rule base. Are we kind of talking about the same thing in the physical world? We are, right. So, the, wow. you know, we're not going after, there's a lot of companies out there that go after advanced artificial intelligence, machine learning to solve complex problems. So think about it as like the robots that go into disasters, they they find a disaster and then they navigate their way through an environment to find people that might be injured or things of that nature. They're making an enormous uh, uh 
they're making extremely complex decisions based off of what they can perceive. The challenge that we've seen is that AI, artificial intelligence and machine learning has not transitioned because it's sol they, they seek to solve too complex of problems. It's the same reason you don't see like cars driving by themselves, even Tesla, probably one of the strongest auto auto automation companies in the world, still can't handle all those unique cases of like this weird corner with a cone, a grandmother in a, in a cart, like those things are just very hard to deploy with confidence. So what we've gone after is like you're describing, like that email rule, like if this, then that. If we can provide a routine environment, like airfields for us is a, is a great environment, right? It's very sanitized, it's flat, uh, it has rules, entry lanes, things like that. And so if a requirement comes up to deliver something there here or um, tow something there, it has entry and exit points already defined. The rule is very simple. So just like with Uber or Lyft, you log in, you say, I need something here. Those rules then deploy the system. So just like you're talking about with the email example, it, the environment is permissive for autonomy uh, in a way that maybe a disaster scenario or earthquake scenario wouldn't necessarily be. Yeah. Yeah. This is super cool. So it's basically, um, it's kind of like, like, like the email example. It's just a, a, a mundane type task, like an everyday task. I have to transport this amount of widgets to that location. Correct. That's what we're talking about every Precisely. single day. And it can do it. Now, can these vehicles, they can do it completely on their own. They can, they can in, in the environment that they're designed to do it in. Right. So they, you could put it into the city of, uh, of New York, for instance, and you, you could deploy it, but it would not, it, it would be unlikely to accomplish the same delivery mission necessarily because of the complex environment that, that New York presents with people blocking roads and, and things of that nature. So you'd see a lot of stops along the way, whereas on an airfield or on a farm, for instance, where there's not you have established open fields or established open areas, it can then make a decision on its own where to bypass. And it's not constrained by a sidewalk to its left and its right. It's constrained by an airfield or a grassy field. And so, yeah, it, it can produce routine results. Uh, this is why automation and like um, uh, pesticide application, uh, weeding ap uh, applications, uh, harvest applications, planting applications have made it uh, into, the, into the market in a way that other more advanced and complex technologies haven't. Okay, so, so this is primarily for the military. Have you looked at private sector stuff for, for you specifically? Yeah, we have. So we work, we have a joint venture with Sentient Robotics on uh, several efforts. So they manufacture a hive. It is, a, think of it, a drone vending machine. You know, you have 80 drones in a box. They launch and they recover and recharge autonomously. So we're looking at different applications for that with when it comes to um, backcountry firefighting, when it comes to uh, supporting energy projects as they, you know, like Superfund sites to do inspections. Um, the Coast Guard actually has uh, allowed, uh, and the FAA has allowed for a, a waiver so we can employ over the San Francisco Bay and support their um, uh, search and recovery efforts and security efforts. Mm -hmm. So deploying these systems out has applications beyond just the, the martial world. Uh, and we see, just like with the airfield I was talking about, what we're doing at McGuire Air Force Base can translate to Cincinnati, to LAX, and things like that. Uh, to facilitate those routine actions that need to happen 24 hours a day. This is the coolest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> it's coming along, man. We're, we're, we are at, a, you know, there's always, you know, dawns of new ages. And I think um, where autonomy stands right now, we are 
and for the next probably 20 to 30 years going to see a, a remarkable transition just like you have in factories where you, know, you again controlled environment routine applications you know human employment we're at maximum employment regardless of all these robots but productivity has gone up because of those robots and i, th I think the same thing is going to happen in these outdoor environments um, as humans start leveraging robots and autonomy uh, in, in gradually more advanced situations. Yeah. Speaking of that, are you, have you heard any, are you getting any kickback from people that are like, I don't want robots to take my job? Yeah. So, but, and that I, I, I would confront them with, we're, tr we're not trying to take anybody's job. We're trying to expand the capabilities of their job. So when you think about like a bakery, for instance, uh, we're working uh, a lot, we're, their separate organization, Faction, out of San Francisco, is supporting several bakeries down there doing deliveries autonomously around San Francisco. Their application of effort is not taking away the baker's job. It's just allowing the bakers to be able to deliver their product out there. And I think that it it does undermine gig jobs. So those jobs that you're picking up to cover you know those margins of your income. But for professionals, by and large, uh, bus drivers, for instance, another one, well, what about the bus drivers or truck drivers? Those jobs are in such high demand now. There's, I think right now, trucking is like 400,000 truckers short in North America. Wow. Like we're not going to deploy 400,000, you know, long haul truck drivers in any reasonable amount of time. And the number of truck drivers continues to decline year over year as a percent of our population. We're simply allowing the, the companies, the customers, all the consumers out there that depend on trucks to get them the goods they need or to move their own goods to be able to do so. So I think there are going to be impacts and I don't want to minimize or remove that. But at the same time, it, it's going to be like robots in the factory. You're just going to expand the production of the factory. You're going to expand the output without having uh, the, the requirement to, to grow that many more people. And again, we're at what, three and a half percent unemployment right now. And we've had automation taking over for 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in who is we, like how big does your company have to be? Uh, how big are you currently now and how big do you anticipate being? Like, yeah, so we're, yeah, we're, we're small. I think, you know, what you have to be, we're small, we're six people. Uh, we okay. are uh, predominantly located in the Vancouver area, but we also have uh, the West Coast and East Coast uh, and Toulouse, France as well. So we are expecting to grow over the next couple of years. We have several contracts that are sizable, uh, especially with, with regards to the Air Force. And when I was talking about the, the forestry service, no contracts exist there, but I, I have a great, I have great hope that, you know, We've been fighting fires the same way because of necessity, uh, and this is a way to keep our firefighters safe and to protect uh, people that live in, in in forested areas as as the climate changes and things like that. We have to respond. Um, so I, I anticipate that we're going to be growing. Uh, 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 most of the autonomy companies out there that I really respect, um, you think about companies like Greensight or Robotic Research. Um, they are still in transition phase to provide a service. And I think that the service, the provisioning of a service is very difficult in the auto autonomous world or the world of autonomy because the, the market itself isn't as well defined. And so companies that are adopting it are adopting it as like a provisional use cases or, or, or demos. And mm -hmm. to provide a service, that's when people transition from, remember what, like FedEx's history. FedEx was like a, a couple, a, a guy with a truck and then he got a couple other trucks and then he got, a, you know, some money from his family. And then he, yeah. you know, kind of took over a government contract and then was able to grow from there and then take over the civilian sector to offset demand. That same capability, he, he was just a truck driver 
for the longest time because he couldn't get enough service outside of it, all the the innovation. And I think autonomy is in the same space right now. We're all just truck drivers. We we have maybe a little bit more complex truck today, but <laughs> once people deploy this as a routine, like mowing every day, uh, towing every day, picking up uh, foreign objects and debris on an airfield every day, when those everyday tasks come in, then you're going to hire people to employ those and so sustain those. You're going to have further development. Uh, for the customers, and you're going to see this uh, architecture grow within the autonomy industry. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. So now, how often are you guys out in the field, specifically the six of you, showing people like rural communities? Because um, I know here in Colorado, uh, I mean, we have when we have a fire, it ruins like thousands of acres. It ruins huge areas um, of, of the forest. So how often are you guys able to communicate to those, those people in the communities and say, hey, look, we can fix your problem. Um, we just need s some help, some assistance from you guys. It's hard. So we, we do demos too frequently. Um, we, we kind of lament that we haven't been able to advance the technology as quickly as we'd like because we are in the field so often. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's a reality that we have to make believers of people. People want to kick the tires before they buy. Yeah. And I, I completely appreciate that, right? I bought a car. I, I drive, I drove it first I and it worked. It. Yep. Uh, when I bought my computer, I, you know, messed around at Best Buy and, you know, pressed some buttons on it and it looked to do what I, what I thought it was going to do. Um, the ability to buy a service and employ the service at a meaningful contract requires that kind of kicking tires. And so we're spending a lot of time in the field uh, to your point, as far as like the ability to deploy systems in support of, you know, let's use the fire one in Colorado as an example. The people who want those capabilities aren't necessarily the people who have the dollars at the time of the will and at the time of the capacity to employ it. And so in the DOD, as a as a the worst example, right, they budget two years in advance. And so they don't buy new things for two years, and they have to be proven and tested before that buy even takes place. So you're talking one to seven years before that to test things out and turn them into programs of record or things of that nature. Okay. For the firefighting situation, you have people that are extremely experienced in firefighting who are brought in to manage a region and respond to fires in that region, and they scale up, right? They, they get all these temp hires and, and folks like that to, to quickly respond to that fire, but they don't have an organic team with the technical knowledge necessary to get in the weeds, kick the tires and evaluate multiple vendors. Cause nobody wants to just see Morango come out there and do something and be like, Oh, that's it. I'm going to buy it today. Yeah. They want to see two, three, four vendors. And the problem is there's only one or two of us out there. So the, they, they can't really do competitive evaluation. And so they, they, I think there's a, a great degree of skepticism that if they buy, are they going to get the thing they kick the tires of? Yeah, that's that's so interesting though. Like there's you're the you're it. There's nobody else to go to. That's that's it, crazy. It's true. And and I think if there are, as more people enter this field, um there will be more confidence uh as they see more demonstrations and I think there's going to be there are early adopters, there are futurists, early adopters and then the the the, the, the those that follow. Um, I think we're still right now at the futurist. We have some people at random locations that are just like screw it. I want to do it today. And the rest of us are kind of in that futurist to general buying population. Yeah. Wow. Krista Bobbin, I'm so glad I know you now. Before <laughs> I know, see right now I have proof that I know Chris before this thing blows up and 
you're the next, I don't know, Elon Musk. Well, or... I was going to say the same. I, I have, I can take a screenshot and say that I knew you before you were uh, <laughs> taking over Seth Rogan's spot. There you we know. go. Or Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan's Joe Rogan. Spot. Seth is yeah. good too. I'll, if yeah, I'm sure he has a podcast too, but Joe Rogan's either of their jobs. I mean, I'm sure they're, they're doing pretty good. <laughs> right on, Chris. I know you have a, a hard stop today. You're, this guy is like super busy. He's bouncing all over the place. He's got a full family. He's got to do all kinds of, of real, real dad stuff and real work. Um, <laughs> Chris, how can people get hold of you if they wanted to uh, contact you? Uh, go, uh, you know, send me an email directly, Chris at Marengo.com. Uh, it's M-A-R-E-N hyphen G-O.com or support at Marengo.com. Either one of those get back to, to me or my team. Uh, we're, we're happy to come out and talk. We, we want to help people solve problems. We are, we are um, you know, we, we've had a lot of experience, transportation, supply chain, industry with mining, logging, uh, forestry, um, conservation, you know, biomass mitigation, uh, military, we, we have, we're over half veteran. So we have a kind of a unique tilt there, but the, uh, I would just say when, when people have problems that they, they can't find people for, or it happens the same way every day, all day, and people get bored doing it. Like those are the problems to start looking at for autonomy. And we're happy to talk to people about that. That's awesome. Chris, here's the big question that we finish every podcast with. We are land life. We buy and sell dirt and trees. Yeah. If you could buy land, Chris, anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? I I would buy a Pacific island that has high ridges and can grow stuff year round. I love the concept of being self-sufficient. I grew up on a farm uh, and I like the water. So how can I have both? A Pacific island, man, is the way to go. Pacific Island. Are we talking like uh, South Pacific? Or are we talking South out Pacific? You guys? Yeah, yeah. South Pacific. You know, the, there's technology out there to generate water now. So, uh, it's the, the the best unsinkable ship is an island, and that's that's where I'd oh, like. Man, to what be. a great! I've never heard that. The best unsinkable unsinkable ship is an island. That's it. All right, Chris. I'm gonna work on that, uh, and I'll get back to you and find out. Let's know what I, what <laughs> I find me an find me an island that's for sale. Maybe we can talk something out here. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll we'll do a trade. Yeah. Right, right on, Chris. I appreciate it, man. Um, I'll let you go now. Guys, till next time on Land Life. Thanks.